Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. This morning, we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to Matthew. We're ready for chapter 16 today. Not super long, but it is chock full of important doctrine. It's full of things that are grossly misunderstood. Um, and uh, we're going to do our best to tackle it this morning. So open up your hearts. And I pray for a great anointing this morning to be able to not only read the word clearly, but teach it as it is meant to be understood. With that said, let's begin. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16. I'm reading from the King James Bible this morning. Let's begin. The Pharisees, also with the Sadducees, came, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered, and he said unto him, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them, and he departed. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So please note, Pharisees once again come to him and they say, we will give us a sign, right? And Jesus is not a fan of this mindset. In fact, this is not the first time he said this exact same thing, that a wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and then will be given it, but the sign of Jonas. If we go to... For remember, in the Gospel of Matthew, again, he's talking to the scribes. If you go back to chapter 12, uh, he says this exact same thing. So if we go to chapter 12, verse 38, it says this, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered, and he said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's, well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So right there we get the explanation back in chapter 12 of what the sign of Jonas is. It's the resurrection, right? Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the ground for that time. Now, he, uh, he also points out that, look, you guys can discern the weather, and here you are, the head of, the, uh, head of religion in Israel. You're the ones who, are, uh, who appointed yourselves, more or less, uh, over uh, the scriptures and the, the law and all of these things. You can literally look at the sky and, and tell what time or what the weather's going to be. But you're unable to recognize the time that you're living in. Which is what? The time when Messiah came 
and the kingdom of God came to earth. And they couldn't recognize it, in spite of the fact of all the miracles and all the things that he did, in spite of the fact that he stood in front of them and had men with withered hands stretch them out, and the lame walk, and the blind see, and thousands upon thousands witnessed him turn a couple of loaves of bread into plenty. And they're still, they want a magic trick. This is only an evil and adulterous generation seeks after those things. Let's continue on. So the, the verse 5 ends with his disciples. They forgot to grab some bread, right? And if you remember last week, he fed the 4,000, right? Right after we read about him feeding the 5,000. And both times his disciples are like, what are we going to do, right? Even though they witnessed him do it, just it just, just it just shows the human condition and how quickly we forget and how quickly, quickly we lose faith even after God comes through in a grand way. Verse 6. Jesus, the reason why I bring that up is Jesus is about to rebuke them as a side note to the point that he's trying to make. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, are I reasoning among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves and the four thousand, and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? So he's saying, you guys are still talking about that, and you do you not remember the 5,000 and the 4,000 and how we fed them from just a few loaves of bread? And that's not the point of the conversation anyway, Jesus says. And then they figure it out that, that actually when Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, he's actually talking about their teachings, which we see here in verse 12. Then understood they how that he bade them to not beware of the leaven, how he be, be, how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Verse 13, And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barajona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So please note, who actually revealed this to Peter? Was it his own brilliance? 
Is it because he was so smart and so well studied? No. Jesus tells him exactly how he found out. He's, and he makes it clear, hey, you're, you didn't discover this on your own. It's not your own flesh and blood and your own abilities, but it is my Father in heaven which, who has revealed this to you. Jesus says in other parts of the Gospels, no man comes to me unless my Father, or nobody comes to the Father unless I draw him. Right? Like, there's... There's this concept throughout the Gospels that if you are coming to Christ, it is because of God's grace and mercy that he's called you out. In fact, that's why they're called the called out ones. Continuing on. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's make some sense of this, because... People and even entire denominations and have created nonsense out of these words. When really what Jesus is saying is quite simple. So I'm going to give you Matthew Henry's commentary. What is Jesus talking about when he says he's going to give Peter the keys and this loosing and unloosing and... Here's what he says. He says the other part of this chapter is to settle the order and government of the church. When a city or society is incorporated, officers are appointed and empowered to act for the common good. A city without a government is chaos. Now this constituting of the government of the church is here expressed by the delivering of keys, and with them a power to bind and loose. This is not to be understood of any particular power that Peter was invested with, as if he were the sole doorkeeper of the kingdom of heaven, and that he had the key of David, which belongs only to the son of David. No. This invests all the apostles and their successors with a ministerial power to guide and govern the church of Christ as it exists in particular congregations or churches according to the rules of the gospel. <laughs> That's what's being said here. And I'm not going to call out any certain sections of Christianity but some have taken this and run with it and given themselves all types of grand authority that they do not possess. Eight more verses. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be done unto thee. But he turned and he said unto Peter, Get behind me, Satan, 
for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Please note, I don't think Jesus is calling Peter Satan. But Jesus is getting to a very important point. In this moment, Peter's not thinking about the things of God. He's thinking about the things of his own desires, his own expectations. Jesus is supposed to come and set up an earthly kingdom and rule and reign and you know, conquer the Roman Empire. How can... So this... This nonsense about dying and all of that, in the moment, Peter is basically being a mouthpiece for Satan. Jesus is saying, get that behind me. And then he's going to go on to say something very important that we need to remember. Here it is. Then Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying that following me will cost you something. It's not as ooey-gooey as, and uh, we've made it in our culture something that it's not. We've kind of made it like, you know, become a Christian and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, right? That's not the picture that Jesus is painting here. He's saying, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. In other words, you're dying to your desires, to your wants, to your dreams, to your expectations, and it's going to be about the kingdom of God and following Jesus wherever that is and whatever that looks like. And if you're white-knuckling this world, and you're constantly trying to grab onto your life and the, your dreams and everything that you, that you wanted out of this. Like, you, you can't. That's not going to work. And then Jesus says, Would you be willing to, to compromise your relationship with God to excel and prosper in this world? There's so many who are. There's so many who will outright seek the spirit of Satan for glory and riches, position and power. But it doesn't have to be to that extent. It can be simply, I've chosen my business, I've chosen my profession, I've chosen my hobby, whatever it is, that thing has now been exalted above God and the things of the kingdom of God. 
Jesus, Jesus warned, he's like, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27, for the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. What's he getting at? He's saying, listen. Do not exchange heavenly reward for earthly worthless vanity. He's saying, what do you really profit if you, if you gain everything in this world? You're going to die in 70 to 100 years of life, right, on average. You're giving up eternal blessing. He's saying, what is, you're going to lose your soul for this, and here's the, here's the tragedies. You'll make that decision, but then the Son of Man will come in His glory, and His Father, with His angels. All this is going to happen in the sight of men, and He shall reward every man according to His works. Last verse, fairly, I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, that little statement there, I don't think, is talking about like the end of days. Uh, many think he's talking about the transfiguration, which will be happening very shortly after this conversation. Uh, but I tend to think it has to do with uh, them seeing the the coming of the kingdom, right? The establishment of the church, the, 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 the gospel being available and opened to all, not just the Jews, the whole world having access to God now. Um, and maybe even John lived long enough to see the destruction of Jerusalem and the wrath of God poured out upon the nation of Israel for the rejection of Messiah. I think that's more likely what Jesus is talking about with that last statement. But that's neither here nor there. I think the important thing to, to take away from those last few verses is be careful about where you're prioritizing your relationship with God and the kingdom of God. Do not make the mistake do not make the mistake of refusing to deny yourself, refusing to die to yourself, and miss out on the on blessings and reward from God when Christ returns for this garbage here on earth that rusts, that rots, that thieves break in and steal that disappoint, you know what I'm talking about. You want that thing so bad and then you get it. And then it's like, oh, wow. A week later, it's boring. This stuff doesn't satisfy. And even when you achieve things, right? And it's nothing wrong with pursuing hobbies and, and being ambitious and doing things with your life. It's about where does that stack up? on your 
scale of importance in relation to God and the kingdom of God. But even when you achieve those things, what happens? You're instantly thinking about the next step, right? It's not enough. Contentment. That's been my word for the year of 2023. Contentment. All right. That's all I have for you this morning. I believe I'm starting to ramble. I pray you've been blessed in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. Thank you to those of you who support this mission of truth and have made it possible for 10 years. What an opportunity I've had. I'm so grateful for it. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.